Good evening, and thank you all for coming out, and thank you, Alex, for the introduction. As Alex mentioned, we're looking at the last couple of chapters in the Bible, in the, the book of Revelation. And if you want to follow with me this evening, then please keep your Bible open, because we will be coming backwards and forwards to the passages of Scripture that we're considering. This evening, we're looking again at Revelation chapter 21. In the Pew Bibles, if you haven't brought a Bible with you, it's page number 1041. I'm reading from a slightly different version to the Pew Bible, but you'll note the similarities. So it's chapter 21, and we'll just start by reading the first three verses. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, also there was no more seen. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. As I say, we'll keep coming back to chapters 21 and chapter 22. Just over two years ago, my wife and I, to celebrate a, a wedding anniversary, went back to Japan. And while we were in Japan, we visited a garden which was known as one of the most beautiful gardens in the world. It's called the Okokayama Kenrokuen Garden. In Japan, it is one of the most beautiful gardens in Japan. And it was a beautiful day. And I can remember walking through that magnificent garden, absolutely outstanding in its beauty. And I turned to my wife, Audrey, and I said, this is the closest I can get to heaven on earth. You may not know it, but I'm a very, very keen gardener. And I sat there at the side of a lake, looking out over the bridges and the small islands and the manicured lawn and the trees and every little detail that had been created by the gardener, and it was absolutely outstanding. We sat there quietly, and I soaked in every moment. I thought, it can't get any better than this, but it did. Because as we were sitting there, all of a sudden there was a bit of a commotion just a short way from where we were sitting. And we got up from where we were sitting and looked, and here was a Japanese bride in her full bridal regalia with her newly married husband. Completely adorned in the Japanese kimono, luxurious in every aspect of it, walking along through that garden with her husband. They had come there, can you imagine that? Come there for their wedding photographs. And all of a sudden, what had been a beautiful garden becomes something more, because that beautiful garden, rather than just being an inanimate object, just of grass and trees and lakes and all the rest, started to reflect another dimension, and that was the love that was being obviously shown between this young couple. All of a sudden, this inanimate garden started to reflect love and joy and happiness and warmth and relationships. And so that really stuck with me, that a garden could be beautiful, but it is really whenever people come into it that really makes it something different. And so what we're going to be considering tonight is the New Jerusalem. Last week, 
uh, Alan Wilson looked at the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. And he made a statement that may have been a shock to you all, but it's absolutely correct. We are not going to spend heaven floating around in some spiritual dimension playing harps up there in the clouds. If that's what you think heaven is, forget it. As a matter of fact, heaven's not even going to be a series of conferences and meetings. If it was, it might be the other place. But that's beside the point. It's, it's not going to be like that at all. Heaven, for us, is going to be on a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be a real, physical place. You're going to have a new body. You're going to walk. You're going to talk. You're going to enjoy the presence of God in a way which you have never, ever imagined it before. As a matter of fact, it's going back to the creation. It's going back to Eden. It's going from the creation to the consummation. Everything that God had wanted and more and more. Now, what Adam and Eve enjoyed is going to be ours in the new heaven and the new earth. And as Alan said, on that new heaven and the new earth, there is going to be a holy city. And that holy city is called the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem. Let's just consider a moment why John, at this point, introduces a city. Well, if you have been reading through the book of Revelation and studying it, and we haven't been, But if you had got as far as chapter 17 in the book of Revelation, you'd have come across another city. The city would have been called the city of Babylon. And the angel took John and showed him Babylon. And whenever John was shown Babylon, he saw a city which was perverse and evil, a city which was dark and contaminated, a city which was governed by what is called in the Bible a prostitute, or a harlot. And whenever you read those chapters, you see everything that is wrong with this world today. You see it there in graphic detail, and it's expressed as a city of Babylon. When you go back into the little minor prophet of the book of Habakkuk, you'll read more about what happens in that area of Babylon. You'll read of what God thinks of Babylon. And God looks at Babylon, and he issues five woes on that terrible city. They are slaving people. They are making money out of people. They are corrupt. They are violent. They are sinful. And that city, in chapter 19, is totally and absolutely destroyed. And then in the middle of chapter 19, we have this praise in heaven as God and man, and all celebrate the defeat of Babylon. And then in chapter 21, we have another city. And the city that was coming is in complete and absolute contrast and absolute opposite to the city of Babylon. It's a holy city. Now, we could get into all sorts of issues here. We could get into all sorts of debates some of the theologians don't agree about where it's located. Is it in the sky? Is it on the earth? Is it, what is it? But let's stop for a moment. Why was John shown this holy city? Well, actually, John was shown the holy city so that in the 21st century, we as theologians could all sit down, or theologians with inverted commas, and debate it. No, that wasn't the case at all. 
God didn't show John this holy city so that we could have discussions as to where it was located or what the imagery meant and fall out with one another. That is not what it's about. Is it a millennial city? Is it? We could go on. The purpose that John was shown this holy city was to encourage him and strengthen him and prepare him for the reality of what is to come. And the holy city that John sees, the new Jerusalem, is it literal? Is it something that he is using poetic language to describe? Well, I actually think it is a combination of the two. I think you're wrong to separate the two. I think it is a literal and an absolute city, and I think John uses poetic language to describe it because the Bible tells us, I cannot see nor can man describe what God has planned for those who love him. And so, he sits about to describe this holy sitting. But it's not an inanimate object. You know what I was saying about the park? There was nobody in it. It was beautiful. It's magnificent. But it's not an inanimate object, because very, very closely linked to that city are the occupants of that city, and the occupants of that city is the bride of Christ. And you have a hard job separating the two. The city is not the bride. The occupants are the bride. But just like whenever I was a school teacher, I'd have referred to all the students in, in the assembly hall, I'd say, now, the school today, I didn't mean the building. I meant the people. And so when John talks about the holy city, he's not only describing the building, he's describing the actual people who make up that building. And they are described as the bride of Christ. We have lost the reality of that message. The reality of that message is that you and I, as members of the body of the church of Christ, are getting married. There's a mass marriage feast takes place in chapter 19 in which the church is married to the bridegroom, and a relationship takes place, an intimate relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and the bride. In John chapter 14, we read words which echoes what we have just read. It says, God prepared a place, prepared a holy city. And in John chapter 14, the words that we read are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again. And the holy city is the eternal preparation that the Lord Jesus Christ has made for his church, for you and for me, to dwell with God in all eternity. And yes, it is a literal, it is a physical city. It is a place which will be the center of the new heaven and the new earth. And the reality is, now, the words which we use and the words which John uses to describe it are inadequate. They really can't capture it all. What I want to do this evening is to try to encourage you and to take you and to show you what lies ahead. You know, in the stories in Narnia, the children go in and they meet the, the witch of the underworld and she sets about trying to convince them that Narnia isn't real. 
she goes about and she, and she talks to them and says, the lion's just an imagination. Everything else is just in your imagination. It's not real. And in many ways, that's what's been done to us as a church, you know, as Christians today, that heaven has been reduced to something, but we don't really know what it is. Well, let's hear what John has to say. So, let's return to our passage of Scripture. And John then picks it up in verse number 9, and we'll read from verse number 9 to verse number 11. Verse number 9 to verse number 11. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, came to me and spoke to me. Uh, This angel speaks 21 times in the book of Revelation, and this is the last time. He says, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And we stop. Because what we have here is the whole vision that John has of this holy city. And the initial view that he has is from the top of a mountain looking at this magnificent structure. And so he's looking at it from a distance. He's looking at it from afar. He's not right beside it. He's separated from it. And as he looks at this this magnificent building, this magnificent city, it's radiant and it's shining and it's like jasper and the walls are translucent and it's beaming with light. And he says, it is housing the glory of God. The glory of God. Does that scare you? The glory of God? I wonder what we understand by the words, the glory of God. Sometimes we think it's something that distances us from God. But in reality, the glory of God is much more intimate and much more personal. The word glory actually means the weight. Everything that constitutes God is His glory. It's used in the Old Testament of Eli when he fell off his seat, the very word where he was overweight. That weight is the word that is used, same word for glory. It's the weight it's what, 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 which constitutes God. Everything that is God is caught up in that word glory. And whenever we look at the book of the, at the Bible and we look at the glory of God, we trace it as it moves right through and we see it revealed to us. The book of Ezekiel, brings forward many, many times the glory of God. And whenever Ezekiel in chapter 1 talks about the glory of God, he sees two things. He sees light, and he sees a person. He sees light, and he sees a person. Now, this radiant light, which is here in the New Jerusalem, is the same light that Ezekiel sees. It is emanating. It is shining forth. It is bright. It is moving out. And we we can't see it in its fullness. We will never fully understand it until we arrive in heaven. And this magnificent glory of God shines forth. But it's not threatening. 
it's not something to be worried about. Because whenever we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, He showed us the glory of God. Our very first uh, uh, miracle that the Lord Jesus Christ performed was when He changed water into wine. And it said through that, He showed us the glory of God. And it says his life and his incarnation showed us the glory of God. And it said his death and his suffering showed us the glory of God. And so the glory of God that we see, while it is demonstrated as light, it is shining forth into the darkness. Just as the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the darkness, he said, let there be light. There was light. And that light beams forth. And it shows us the character and the nature of God, the glory of God. He is holy. He's just. He's compassionate. He's loving. He's pure. He's kind. He's gracious. He's merciful. And I could go on. That is what shines forth from the glory of God as it reflects into us. And then Ezekiel talks about as well about one, a man, as a man. And when you read through Revelation chapter 21 and 22, you see both of these. You see the light and you see the man. You see the light, that piercing light of the glory of God, and you see the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. You see, the God that we worship, the God who is a God of glory, emanates, sends forth, shines out. And he says, I'm bringing love and compassion to you all. As I look and I have seen world religions all over the globe, it's the exact opposite. I go into places where it's darkness and where they, they seem to be absorbing all of me and wanting more of me, whereas the God of the Bible has said, I'm giving more of me to you. And he's giving more and more and more. And that glory of God is what is there as you look at the new Jerusalem from afar. But then let's pick it up again and let's go a little closer. In chapter 2 from verse 12 to 21, we read these words. She had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, three gates in the east, three gates in the north, three gates in the south, three gates in the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. And the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. And then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. And the constructions of its wall was like jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third calconite, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the, fifth, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, 
the 10th Chrysophyte, the 11th Jacinth, and the 12th Amethyst. And the 12 gates were the 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the streets of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And so now we move from afar, up close, and we see the city. We, we, we look down at the city. And three things happen in the, this passage. First of all, the, we, we, we get a map of the city. We find out that it's got walls, and we find out where the gates are located, uh, and we find out where the foundations are, and we find out the scale and the height of it, uh, and we get this general map of what the city is like. And then we move on from there, and we then start getting the measurements of the city. And then finally, we get the materials by which the city is constructed. We're moving closer. And as we look at the amazing city, this amazing city, you cannot help but wonder and be amazed. I know that we say that heaven is paved with streets of gold. I wonder, is it literal? Because this gold is transparent. Think about that. But what we have here is the beauty of this city. And when we look at the city, we find the number 12 occurring time and time and time again. My apologies if you're reading one of the more modern versions, because it leaves a lot of this out. And when it's talking about the measurements, it actually converts it into the actual numbers of approximately 1,500 miles, which is unfortunate because the number of 12 resonates right throughout this section. You've got 12 gates, you've got 12 tribes, you've got 12 apostles, you've got measurements which are 12, you've got measurements which are parts of 12 and 144 and so on, and 12 is a number which repeats itself time and time and time and time again. And when you come to the number 12 in Scripture, it is only ever applied to God and only ever deals with God's governance and God's control. And so when we look at the measurements of this city, which if we were to convert are 1,500 meters long, 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high. If you put it into the center of Europe, it would dwarf all of Europe and it would go up 1,500 uh, miles into the air. It's a colossal size. It's huge. It's full of gold and precious stones, some of them which I can't even pronounce, and some which people are even trying to figure out what they are. But there's 12 entrances, three on each side, and above them are the names of the tribes. And underneath are the 12 apostles, layer upon layer upon layer of precious stone. Look at the scale of this thing. It is absolutely magnificent. It's absolutely beautiful. And while we could spend a lot of time talking about what each and everything means, we've got to move on. But I want you to get a grasp, grasp of, of the significance and the beauty of this place where you and I will spend eternity. What is the most beautiful building you have ever been in? 
think about it. What is the most incredible building you have ever been in? Have you ever gone into some of the enormous cathedrals? Maybe into a palace? Maybe into a gallery or a museum? And you've been absolutely overwhelmed. That is nothing. Nothing compared to what God has prepared for us. And so we can move even closer. And we pick it up again when we read from verse number 22 through to 27. We've gone from afar. We've looked down in the city. We've gone up close, and and now we're we're actually going inside the city. And when you go inside the city, in verse 22, we read this, but I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God illuminated. Look at it again. The glory of God illuminated. And then remember what we read in Ezekiel about God being light and more like the form of man. The glory of God illuminated, and the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and their honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all. There will be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and there shall be no means to enter it. Anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The main thing in verse 22, is the fact that there is no temple in the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem, whenever you trace it right throughout the whole of the Old Testament, is a temple city. It's because there is a temple that Jerusalem exists. Right throughout the whole of Scripture is the temple city. And yet when you enter this city, the first thing you're told is there is no temple. And you say, why is there no temple? Well, there's no temple because you don't need a temple. Because a temple was where you went to make sacrifices and to approach God. The temple came and where you had to actually go through the process of purification to approach God. But when you come into the New Jerusalem, there's no need of that. Because God is there. And the Lamb is its light. And so we're going to pick that up, up more next week. So I, I want to move on fairly quickly as time is beating us. But we now move right into the center of this city. In chapter 22 and verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was a tree of life which bore twelve fruits each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign with him forever and ever. Alan, when he spoke to you last week, took you back into the early chapters of Genesis. And yet again, you're going back into the early chapters of Genesis. Again, this whole description 
is reflecting what was happening in the Garden of Eden, the river, the tree of light, the throne of God, man having a relationship with God. And we could take time, and again, it would be another sermon to explain each and every aspect of it. But what we have, whenever we look at this city, when we look at it from afar, we see the glory of God. When we go inside, we see the security and the governance and the presence of God. When we move further inside, we see that there's no need for a temple because our relationship with God has been established. And we go right into the center, we see that God's throne is in the very center of that holy city. But we're not finished. I want to take you back again to the bride. The bride and that relationship that we as a church, as a church universal, has with the eternal God. But as we move into the city, just like John has, has focused our attention on the beauty and the perfection of that city, he focuses our attention on our relationship with God. Sometimes it's not obvious, but let me take you to where we are. When you go to the measurements of the New Jerusalem, it's a perfect cube, a perfect cube. Length, height, width, exactly the same. It's cased with gold. It has beauty unimaginable. And if you were in John's generation, that would immediately take you to another perfect cube. And that perfect cube, as 1 Kings chapter 6 tells us, was the exact size, scale, I should say, of the Holy of Holies. We've spent some time looking at the tabernacle over recent weeks and months. But there's an exact size of the Holy of Holies. And so the New Jerusalem is much bigger in scale, but we're actually going in to the Holy of Holies. Imagine, the high priest could only go in once a year, but you and I can go in and then be there in the Holy of Holies. The the jewels that are described, most of them are the jewels that are on the tunics of the high priests as he would go in. And so what we're seeing in the holy city is, John says, yes, we have that relationship as a bride, but you have complete and total access into the presence of a holy God. But he doesn't stop there. He takes us on and he focuses us on a little more. And in chapter 22, he says, and we shall see his face. We shall see his face. Remember Moses in the cleft of the rock? He couldn't see the face of God. He could only see his back. And yet God says, and you will see his face. 
The reality is this, that you and I, in that holy city of that new Jerusalem, that eternal presence, that place which will be home, that place which will link heaven and earth, that place where we will serve God, we will be in His very presence for all eternity, and we will be known because we will have His name on our forehead, which echoes back to the the mark of the Antichrist and the mark on the beast. No, no. We belong to God, and we will see His face. But look at the last verse in chapter 21. Only those names which are in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb's book of life. If you read the Belfast Telegraph or any other funeral notices, if you go to any funeral, by and large, you will hear people, even though they don't believe in a God, talking about being in heaven. It's almost like a, it, it's an open door that, that anybody can get in. And yet, it's so clearly stated here at the end of chapter 21 that only those names which are in the Lamb's book of life can enter. In other words, it's only those names who have come to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, who have had the problem of their sin dealt with, who are capable, who are clothed, who are ready, who are able to enter into this holy city. A famous singer in America was invited to sing at a wedding of a very, very wealthy young lady. And she tells the story herself. She went to the church service and she sang. And she sang beautifully. And they made their way to the reception, which was to be in the building, which was the highest building in Northwest America. And the penthouse and the suites at the top were were reserved for this magnificent reception. Absolutely magnificent. And this singer and her husband went along. And as they moved up through the floors, they got to the floor just below where the reception was to be held. And you could look up, up a stairwell and you could see everything all laid out in its beauty. And there was a a tape across the stairwell. Eventually they came and, and they cut the tape. And the bride and the groom made their way up this stairwell to this wedding banquet, which the likes of had never been seen. And then the guests started to follow in. And as they came, a gentleman stepped forward and said, Your name, please. Yes, go ahead. Your name, please. Yes, go ahead. And this singer came along with her husband and and gave her name, and he looked. I'm sorry, your name's not on the list. But she said, but I, I was a singer at the reception. I, I, I'm here. No, I'm sorry. Your name's not on the list. He called over security, and he said, take these two people out by the service elevator, please. And when they were downstairs in the car park, her husband turned to the singer and said, what's going on? I thought we were invited. And she said, we were. But she said, I was so busy. 
And actually, because I was singing, even though it said RSVP, reply, I didn't bother. That's why we were excluded. And that is exactly the situation at the end of Revelation 21. There is an eternity. My words cannot even begin to describe it. John's words cannot even begin to describe it. The words of the book of Revelation are only opening our eyes to this magnificent new Jerusalem where we will spend eternity. But it's access prohibited if your name's not in the Lamb's book of life. But if your name is in the Lamb's book of life, it's unrestricted access. Maybe you've been in that situation where you've got that special card, unrestricted access to anywhere in the building, to meet anybody you like, to go anywhere you want. And you show it to your friends and say, yeah, you're sitting out in there, I can go wherever I want. That's where you are if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what eternity holds for you. That's what heaven holds for you. But the reality is this. You've got to reply. You've got to reply. There is absolutely no point in thinking, I'm important. After all, I was a singer at the wedding. There's absolutely no point in saying, well, I'm a bit busy right now. I'll get around to it sometime. If your name is not in that book, then access to that city is restricted. We looked at the city from afar, up close, inside, and from the center. And all of it exudes the beauty and glory of God. And the glory of God is compassion and love and mercy and holiness and justice. What's it like? It's like the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where you'll see it. That's what you'll see. And we can spend eternity if you reply.